Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen of the North, South, East and West, and welcome to episode 165 of Film Focus, where we will be continuing our discussion on the ranking of the theatrical Spider-Man films. Now, part one, we covered films nine to five, and in today's episode, we'll be covering four to one. Now, I know last episode was pretty meaty, but we had a lot to say, and we definitely have a fair bit to say in this episode as well, so that's why we had to break it into two. But I hope you will enjoy the discussion, and, well, there's not much else to say, but enjoy. Number four for me, maybe controversial. I don't know. Um, this was not an easy decision, but mm. I'm putting original Raimi Spider Man 2002 in here. Okay. Very, very tough choice for me. Um, okay. Now, I still adore this film a great deal. As you should. <laughs> I watched this when I was 12 years old and. I was already obsessed with Spider-Man from childhood because I watched the animated series like everyone else did in the 90s. I didn't quite like that Spider-Man Unlimited show, although his costume was kind of interesting to me. But I was obsessed with the idea of seeing Spider-Man in live action. So then when that film came out, I was just like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. And one of the core things that I appreciate is that I mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. Spider-Man's web swinging makes him one of the most interesting characters when it comes to comics in general, because it's a weird combination of jumping, flying, and falling, but it's not yeah. quite flying. I, uh, with, with like a little bit of sort of sort of Batman or Rorschach scrapple gun thrown in there. Yeah, and with <laughs> a little, a little bit of that vibe. And a little bit of acrobatics in the air as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's so visually distinct, isn't it? Like compared with every other hero. <laughs> no, absolutely. And it depends on what um, comic book artist you have. Some people are really able to illustrate, like just the agility, athleticism, and like you know the uh, speed and like uh, cool things that Spider-Man can do in the comics. But it really depends on the artist. But I don't think right. up until that film, that first film would come out, we'd really seen how cool and how interesting it would be to see someone in live action running on the side of buildings, shooting webs and flipping and dipping all over the place. Mm -hmm. And for me, seeing that in live action, literally, I'm not going to lie, it changed my life. It just in terms of like, this is kick ass. Like, um, it was a very formative movie for me too, but I'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So when we get to at least, um, Spider-Man web swinging from the first time and he's chasing after, um, was it the, uh, uncle Ben's killer or supposed killer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, that moment where we see Peter like hesitate before he decides to take that leap of faith, essentially. But then as he starts like uh, swinging through the city, I'm he, hearing the Danny Elfman score. In my I head. know I can hear so it cool. too, <laughs> but um, it's just the way you can see him, like um, even in the background, because there's a uh, shot of the uh, cars coming towards the camera, but you can see Spidey in the background and even in his awkward phase of like learning how to web swing, there is an elegance to it of oh, him twisting 100%. and turning, shooting his webs. It's, 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 it's like mid air ballet, isn't it? It's like, yeah. <laughs> and 
it only gets better from there, but we'll get to that in like um, later on. But yes. I adore how good the web swinging looks in here. And I don't think there was ever a, uh, at least to me, I don't think the idea of Spider-Man, like, you know, was it uh, running against buildings had ever really been shown until this film came around. Because mm -hmm. Spider-Man, he'd crawled on walls, he'd run up, like, walls and stuff like that. But to use his uh, momentum as he's, like, you know, running around through the city, so to shoot a web, glide on the side of a building, jump off, do flips mm -hmm. and dips and shit like that. I'm like, this, that ending sequence of Spider-Man number one is Iconic. one of the most beautiful Iconic. things in the history of existence, and I will not hear anything otherwise. Yeah. And, and I think just that ending scene, that ending swing, honestly, I, th I think has been very influential on most subsequent Spider-Man media, particularly the mechanics of Spider-Man video games as we know them now. Yeah. Like, you know, because the, the first... This could be a whole other discussion, to be honest. But like, the, <laughs> but like the video game of the first Raimi Spider-Man, for its time, was very respectable. And, and I... You know, I replayed it at one point last year. It, it, it's it's still very fun for what it is. Um, but they hadn't quite got the swinging mechanic down. It was essentially just flying with with like lines shooting out of his hands, really. But <laughs> yeah, by the time you got to Spider-Man Two, the game, uh, it, it was like a lot more streamlined. You actually had to have something to anchor your the webs onto, and yeah, as you say, if you kind of time it right with, with like you know swinging and pressing the right button you could kind of do a bit of a wall run and that and transition from that into a wall crawl get onto the top of the building it was just a lot more organic so i think yeah just a lot of the movements he does just in that ending scene of the first rainy film alone incredibly influential <clears throat> yeah and i really just appreciate that this film attempted to tell the spider-man story that we know from like you know the classic origin so we have peter he's a high school student he's nerdy doesn't have any friends mm -hmm. well, like not many friends gets bitten not by a radioactive spider but like you know genetically, a, uh, genetically... engineered spider which is fine it's, it's yeah it's close enough <laughs> but i like how for the little changes that they made for live action by like you know obviously making his web organic changing the nature of the spider and like having mj show up instead of gwen stacy first mm. and like changing the look of the goblin to be um <laughs> what some people dub online like you know more of a power ranger suit than his actual my, my like, morphin um, goblin yeah 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 um I feel like the core mechanics of what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man are intact and they work completely, really well. Completely. And I adore his like little uh, transformation where you see him go from skinny Peter to then like the day after, yo, I can see without my goggles. Crap, I got muscles. I can run up the side of my house and have like so much more energy. I'm like, yo, change. Yep. Yeah. Big change. It's, yeah. <laughs> Don't glance down while you're saying that, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, no, it's that transformation is so noteworthy and cool. Mm. And seeing how he discovers like um, his abilities slowly but surely over the course of the film. Um, <laughs> that bit where <laughs> he has a fight with Flash in like uh, school. I love that. It's so fun. I wouldn't want to fight me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god man and just and and yeah flashes yeah these days we know him more as uh deathstroke or true blood guy don't we oh yes 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 yeah. but he's had the charisma for so many years 
yeah. Oh man, I I love it. I really like. Uh, Actually, you know what? Here's hmm? sorry, sorry. Quick tangent. Um, yes. That's just reminding me. That is one thing I actually really do quite like about the Amazing Spider-Man duology for all my issues with those movies, which are plenty. Uh, I actually really dig their version of Flash. And I I, I like that, you know, after Uncle Ben's died, he sort of, he has a little line where it's implied that the reason he's such an aggressive bully is because he had, you know, something like that happen to him too. Because like Peter kind of rams him up against the locker, like, 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 don't do this to me today, Flash. And Flash just goes, feels better right look your uncle died i'm sorry and and that's a very humanizing moment which i really like and then at the graduation scene at the start of amazing spider-man 2 that i think they actually hug at one point so it's implied that they sort of became became friendly after kind of you know after their initial kind of you know he's you know flash the jock peter's a nerd kind of you know division by virtue of that i actually you know, kind of eventually connected with each other on a human level, and and it's sort of, yeah, I, it's it's not in those movies much, but it's it's a little side thing I I, I do dig quite a lot. No, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, I mean, so, sorry to <laughs> continue. No, I understand. Um, so yeah, beyond that, I quite like my beautiful boy Willem Dafoe as. Norman Osborn, aka Green Goblin. He wait, was wait, we, all, we all we all love Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I the funny thing is, um, I hadn't had too much experience with him as an actor in many films, mainly because a lot of them were like you know. Above well, that w- well, that would have been the first thing I'd seen him in. I think. <laughs> I think was it the first thing I saw him in was Speed Two, and I just remember this crazy <laughs> man on it's the nuts. boat. Yeah. And I'm just like, who is this nutcase? I love him. He's great. And then I saw him in Spider-Man. I was like, yo, that's the dude from Speed 2. And he's insane in this movie as well. Hooray. But um, I thought he was a really good choice for uh, Norman Osborn. I love his... And he got to uh, play him again too, which mm. which I'm sure we'll talk about momentarily. Yeah, yeah. But I like <laughs> how he has that, uh, you know, cool, casual, yet stern thing about him. He's all about his business. He's very like, you know, was it, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Complimentary to Peter because he is a like-minded scientific based person. You but, know, I'm something of a scientist myself. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Um, the Raimi memes are incoming. Sorry, guys. Here we go. But um, the way he's... Like I have it. <laughs> but the way he's dismissive to his son as well on numerous occasions, I'm just like, oh, yeah. yeah Terrible father, almost great businessman, with like, you know, a few exceptions to the You know how much I sacrificed? <laughs> Ouch, am I? And just like throwing bloody pumpkin bones at people and turning them into bloody skeletons. I'm like, good lord, what kind of tech do you guys have in that p- facility? Oscorp is dangerous, man. Oh, yeah. But um, even just his transformation sequence, which is just super scary, like, I, I, Oh, Sam Raimi used to be a horror filmmaker, you say. Hmm. Oh, man. I, the funny thing is, I'd watched this long before I'd ever got to see any of the Evil Dead stuff. Well, but, likewise, like, um, yeah. <laughs> the, the bloody jump scares, the way in which some of this stuff is shot, this guy knows how to portray, like, you know, things in a very terrifying manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way in which, like, uh, as uh, Norman is in, like, that chamber getting the fumes in him, and the way that which it focuses on his face as he's spazzing out, I'm like... Oh, this is so horrible. I don't like this at all. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. um, 
But then when he busts out and he busts out the line, which I said to my friend on numerous occasions, back to back formula. To formula. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And just from there, you can end up saying so many other things. But I think my favorite line in that movie is when Harry uh, figures out that Peter likes uh, MJ. And he was saying, um, I'm going to rectify certain inequities. I'm like, oh, I never even knew what the hell those words look, meant. But I looked mm. them up. I'm like, I've used that so many times since college. I'm just like, yep, this is one of my favorite things. Thank you, Sam mm. Raimi Spider-Man. <laughs> but yeah, I love Indeed. it. The action's well choreographed. It has so many noteworthy set pieces from interiors to exteriors. The final fight between Goblin and Spidey is intense, brutal, and f- messed up. I, 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 I love how brutal it is. Like, like it, it's, it's like all the kind of theatrics. Well, not all of the theatrics. He's still got kind of webs and flips and stuff. But like all of the kind of glossiness is stripped away. And it's just these two guys just beating the shit out of each other in an abandoned building. It's just like, yeah, good shit. (laughs) And, you know, I really like uh, the start of this beautiful relationship with uh, J.K. Simmons as John Jonah Jameson. J. Jonah Jameson is fantastic. There has never been a better piece of casting in the history of existence. I I would agree. I would agree. I mean, as far as... As far as comic book movie castings go, there are a few where I'm like, you know, there's there are, you know, just some genuinely good casting choices. Then there are some that I'm just like, they just are the character. Like, no one else could have done this as well. Um, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Um, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Mm. Uh, I will make a case for my boy Ron Perlman as Hellboy. But top of the list could quite possibly be J.K. Simmons as as Jameson. <laughs> He's just so charismatic, so rude and intense. Like, and he, right, how, how, you, how, great. how you can make such an obnoxious character so likable is very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And, like, he has so many quotable lines in there as well. And um, I just like his uh, line to Peter. It's a very subtle thing. But when Peter said he wants a job, it's like a job? No, freelance. Best thing for a kid your age. I said you're like, is it okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I just like how he's just, um, oh yeah, send you a nice package of Christmas meat. Best I could do. <laughs> I was just like, what? No. Copyright and- the name Green Goblin. I want a quarter every time somebody says it. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's that, like, uh, one thing that I also, again, learned from him where it's just like, uh, and Peter's just like, that's slander. Hey, I resent that. <laughs> slander spoken. Prince Libel. I never knew what the hell any of that meant. So again, I looked it up. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm learning. Thank you, Jameson. <laughs> so dumb, but it's just like, it's small moments like that where he just has these special yeah. little moments. Yeah, those, those movies were educating us back in the day. We didn't even know it. <laughs> it was great. And I think, was it beyond that? There's a myriad of things I could go about and say about well, this film. But I would just say, like, one of my other favorite things is just the quotable nature of this film and... I really, really love those guys on the bridge who start defending Spider-Man, start throwing yeah. stuff at the, at the Goblin Knight. Obviously, it shows the unification of New York against, like, um, the villain of the movie, but I really just loved, like, those guys. It's just like, uh, <laughs> you've got to pick on a guy who's trying to save a bunch of kids. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a little corny to watch now, but it's, it is actually quite poignant when you consider that this film 
you know, 9-11 happened while the film was in production. Yeah. So that scene and probably, to be honest, the American flag Spider-Man lands next to in the final shot. Um, it's sort of Sam Raimi's little tribute to the people of New York in, in the spirit of that. Uh, it was very, which was obviously, you know, still a very raw feeling at the time. So it's like, yeah, like, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's just like, just... <laughs> It's a feel-good movie, and I think my opinion of the film changed once we got into at least around the second phase of the MCU, because, as I said before, I felt like these films were, at the time, as close to reality as we could get. But mm. after the MCU came around, not to discount, like, you know, the work that Christopher Nolan did with his Batman movies, but I always felt that that was, like, just his realistic world with like whatever elements that he was able to put into that. But the MCU right. was the first films where I felt like, okay, this feels tangible. This feels mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. as if I was in like, you know, that world, I could see like some sort of alien stuff or like Tony Stark flying by my house. There was mm -hmm. just something about the tone, the visual approach to the action and stuff where I was just like, okay, this feels real. Spider-Man, I sort of look at it the same way that I do with the, uh, Christopher Reeve's Superman movies in a sense where it's that. just like that world feels a little bit more hopeful close to reality but slightly different where it's, it's a, it's a bit like, heightened yeah yeah and still has that colorful comic book vibe that, that that we that we like so I would say the only reason I wouldn't put this slightly higher is just because some of the action is good but not as clean as certain films that would come after it and, and the CGI is a bit rubbery by today's standards. Yeah, and seeing the, uh, especially that. That's actually one of my criteria in the Raimi trilogy drinking game for the first film. Take a drink every time there's a rubbery CGI shot. Seeing Peter <laughs> climb up in his wrestling costume and that shot on his eyes as he's climbing up the wall. I'm like, oh gosh. And seeing him do the. I will uh, say though, prior to that, like the transition from him running in the alleyway. At, you know, actual Tobey Maguire running to CGI Peter jumping up onto the wall. It's pretty seamless for 2002. Oh, it's a clean sequence. And again, it's one of my favorite things about like the way in which Raimi handles some of his uh, suit up sequences. There's one other one that he does um, in Spider-Man 2, which we'll get to, but it's so clean. I'm just like, mm. oh. <laughs> All right, um, I've, I've gushed a little bit now. It's time for you to uh, do your number four, sir. <laughs> well, I, th I think it's going to be mostly gushing from here on out. That sounded better in my head, never mind. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so my number four, No Way Home. By my, uh, by my measures, by a pretty large margin, the best MCU Spider-Man film. No doubt. Not even close. Now, guys, like, okay... We're going to be talking No Way Home spoilers here. If you haven't seen it and somehow have avoided the plethora of spoilers online, Kurt, I'm sure you'll like timestamp this to the point they can skip to to avoid listening to us talk about No Way Home because I have a feeling you'll be discussing it very soon too. Um, is it potentially your number three, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let, let, okay. So let, let's just, so my number four and your number three, let's just do a big chunk on No Way Home. Get out of the way. Whatever timestamp we've got, guys, if you want to avoid spoilers, skip to there. But No Way Home's great. <laughs> it's a good so, time. <laughs> so 
Thanks to No Way Home, uh, the first Raimi Spider-Man is technically the first MCU film. <laughs> <laughs> that meme was very nice. I am so happy you sent that to me because I was just thinking about it for a second. I'm like, oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, wow. That's crafty. I appreciate that. Very nice. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily give the MCU credit credit for that movie. That's what's Raimi. But it's... But yeah, like, it's... God, where do you start with No Way Home, honestly? It, it's... Like I said... I mean, for me, I was saying before, I think my enjoyment of the MCU Spider-Man films and how I rate them does tend to tie quite closely to Peter's character arc and how I rate that. And, like, I'll admit, like, for the first sort of third to half of No Way Home, I was a little bit worried because it seemed like he was making a lot of dumb choices. But by the end, it's like, no, this this checks out and it does become very much kind of a classic spider-man story in that he's human and he's young and he makes mistakes but he has to rectify them and he he has the great responsibility you might say to learn from them and make something good of it and by the end of the movie it's like it's like ultimately he kind of loses everything doesn't he but and it's it's a very bittersweet ending for you know, a very crowd-pleasing, bombastic franchise and very crowd-pleasing, bombastic movie. Um, but it's Absolutely. it's like, but it's like his arc by the end. It's just like he makes the decision for Doctor Strange to cast a spell that erases him from everyone's memory, and it's so he is alone. He is. He has lost everything, lost all his connections, lost all his ties to the Avengers and Stark and everything else. It's essentially a blank slate to start to pick up from, but he is now the Spider-Man we know and love. Like, he swings off at the end in a homemade suit. He's operating out of a teeny little apartment like Tobey Maguire was in, in, in the Raimi trilogy. Not gonna lie, I thought we were gonna see my boy Mr. Dickovich again. I'm a little salty we did, but <laughs> <laughs> never mind. And yeah, he is and of course since Tom Holland is contract for more Spider-Man movies, it stands to reason that, you know, the Spider-Man we will see in future entries in the franchise is will be closer to the Spider-Man we know and love. And essentially by the end, it had kind of erased like most of my issues with the MCU's version of, of Spider-Man and Peter, like, you know, the, the sort of the ties to Tony Stark, the over-reliance on tech, all of that. Uh, and, yeah. and he's just a bare-bones Spider-Man. He's a fully self-actualized hero. Yeah. So, yeah, in terms of Peter's character arc, that's where I'm at. But I feel like it would be amiss of us not to talk about the plethora of fan service done right in this movie good gravy <laughs> like um i ended up seeing this film in a uh private screening with uh, one of Ooh. my best mates because he had a um early screening that he um had for the rest Jammy of the bastard <laughs> and they could like bring like additional people in it so uh he said oh did you want to come along I'm like yeah sure why not like um show this thing at 9 30 so i get to like you know avoid all spoilers online heck yeah mate and funny thing is, there was no one else in the screen besides us two. So I was just like, it was different watching an MCU film without having yeah. that like crowd as well. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. My, my first viewing of it, which I think was just a couple of days after it came out officially, it was in a packed cinema. Pleasantly surprised I didn't get COVID from that. To be honest, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but like, yeah, 
our theatre was erupting, <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, man, it's just, there were so many fan-pleasing moments straight from, like, early on. But then once you got into the period where the next two Peters finally showed up, everything just went into overdrive in terms of just happiness. It's like being crushed by a wave of joy, and it just mm. keeps coming. And I'm just like... I'm the happiest boy in all of the nine realms, man. Like literally, there is no Espe- way. Especially in in the in the bleak midwinter, we need that sweet sweet serotonin, and and I'm glad No Way Home provided it for us. Absolutely. <laughs> so I mean, I think was it one of the key things I loved about this film was that it had such a crazy balancing act that it had to do with taking like the plot elements from the previous two Spider-Man films while also introducing these new scenarios Mm -hmm. and stuff from the previous two Spider-Man films and putting it in together in a film that would still have a cohesive narrative. And I still feel like they pulled it off really well. Amazingly, to be honest, like this, 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 this movie is better than Endgame. Just throwing that out there. I would concur with that it, statement. It, it's currently my sixth favorite MCU film, if you're interested. <laughs> I haven't put it into ranking with the rest of the MCU. I'll have to do that after this podcast is over. But mm. yeah, I love how for as much chaos was going on, this was still Peter's story. He was at the center of everything, carrying the narrative along. Any sort yeah. of crazy or like, you know, simple decision that was made, it was all down to him. And when we got to the end, like you said, this Peter had grown up into a position where I feel like Toby and Andrew were by the time we got to either the end of their first movies or at least by the time they got to their second films. Because in my opinion, like uh, I've always liked the sort of um, childish nature of Peter in this one because he's mm. he's young. He's yet to like, you know, was it get a full grasp of what it means to be a hero, to be, you know, was it a, I wouldn't say a man because like he's still not at that, uh age yet where you could consider that but he's mm. growing into like you know was it his uh his adult status essentially but he's still making a lot of like you know was it basic mistakes so they really played up the aspect yeah. of him being a uh a child for the most yeah. part but this film really makes but, him up yeah and, and by the I'm end just, i would argue he is spider-man oh no absolutely <laughs> um he deals with so much in this film he has to micromanage his current situation while the uh once the villains start showing up mm-hmm. he has to try and work with dr strange to sort that out but then he in his mind thinks that okay if i decide to do things dr strange's way that's not going to work out mm. so i'm going to take it upon myself to try and course correct the situation myself and as we do when we're young and we think we know everything we try yeah. to do things that you think will you know benefit everybody but unfortunately it has the reverse effect yeah. <laughs> and everything sort of like goes to crap and to see the way in which these situations sort of goes to, goes to great cinematically but crap for peter <laughs> oh absolutely and um it's interesting how, you know, at least within the villain space, you had at least a couple of the guys that were on board, some people that were indifferent, and certain people you just knew were going to be like, you know, some sort of sneaky bastard and, you know, cause some chaos later on. Um, my, my boy Defoe. <laughs> oh my gosh. When his, He's when he, terrifying in this movie, by the way. Like, I, I, I honestly I, think his performance might be on par with the first Raimi film. And I, I like that we got kind of a slightly different version of green goblin in this as well like it you know he's sort of obviously he loses the mask quite early he's just kind of running around in this in this purple hoodie which 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 i 
which initially I, I sort of just went, okay, that's, that's a funny Easter egg, but but then it gets more ripped and like the goblin armor showing through it, and he's just kind of letting his crazy face do all the mugging that that you didn't get with the static mask. I'm just like, oh shit, okay, this is sort of a more traditional Green Goblin costume. I'm I'm I'm, I'm into this a lot. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> it was a great compromise to get as close to the comics as you could without having an actual uh, green rubber mask that yeah. he tends to have in the comics. Because mm-hmm. everybody said in like 2002, the only thing that they really didn't like about the Green Goblin is the fact that we couldn't see uh, the foe's crazy, um, you know, was it elastic face just emoting yeah, yeah. all sorts of crazy. And in this film, we get to just see him go in full on. Mm-hmm. And there are several moments where it's just that manic chaos and you're just taking it in. Like when Peter and him have that fight in the apartment, it's one of my favorite fights of anything I've seen for a while, just because it reminds me of why it's fun to not only see Peter go up against someone who he can fight, you know, hand-to-hand combat-wise, but also Mm. to see someone who is technically stronger than him. Mm. And it reminded me also as the end of Spider-Man 1, where Peter in that film, he got his ass handed to him. And Parker Mm. in this one, he was doing damage, but look at the way in which Goblin was laughing in his face as he was getting punched, and this guy didn't give a crap. A bit, a bit, a bit of a Heath Ledger Joker moment, honestly. <laughs> oh man, it was disgustingly beautiful, and, and 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 of course the way that whole sequence ends with Aunt May delivering the "with great power must also come great responsibility" line. By the way, love that shit. I uh, was so pleased because yeah. like. As much like, as I like the original, like, you know, more condensed version of the quote, this is the first time we've ever got, like, the full thing in yeah, live yeah, action. Yeah. Oh, my God, oh, this is nice. Mm-hmm. But obviously with the way that ends, Aunt May doesn't make it out alive. Um, like, that sort of, again, the MCU as a franchise is one that, like, I feel sometimes struggles to make the stakes feel real. Like, there was a point sort of in the build-up to Endgame where it felt like, you know, no... Uh, I mean, which obviously I think was symptomatic of them preparing for Infinity War and Endgame, but it, but like there was a point where it's just like, okay, well, we just know everything's going to be fine. Like they could have killed that character, they chose not to. You know, everything's reset by the end, whatever. Um, yeah. But the better MCU films have higher stakes, and I think this one in particular what No Way Home nailed, which I think is something that a lot of the best Spider-Man stories do, is it has both kind of apocalyptic world-ending stakes and really grounded personal-to-Peter stakes, and they're kind of operating simultaneously. So that was really great. Oh, even yeah. even like the getting into, getting into college thing, which, which is sort of more, more of a B-plot at the beginning and like a small coda at the end, really. That's just a nice little kind of Peter Parker just struggling with normal life character moment, which I oh, yeah. a lot. And like, even though um, I never had like, you know, was it crazy stresses when it came to going to university, it is a stressful period for you when you apply to mm. a bunch of different universities and you're hoping that your first pick will be the one that you get to go to. Because um, yeah. I, I wanted to go to Westminster University, but I didn't get that. So my backup was uh, Sheffield. However, right. like, you know, luckily I actually got that one. So um, I can understand at least that anticipation of just waiting for, like, you know, emails or mail just to see if you've actually gotten that or not. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
it's it's one of those sort of like potential life-changing things for you especially when there's other people involved that you want to go to the same university as them as well oh great yeah and all, all the character stuff was lovely and one thing i did appreciate is when when they bring in toby and andrew obviously like it would have been very easy for them just to be glorified cameos yeah like, of course swinging in for the climax on the statue of liberty hey we're spider-man from another universe uh, let's, let's get these guys back to our universe and that's that but they were legit supporting characters for the third act and absolutely and like okay maybe they could have got more pronounced entrances i do feel like toby just sort of walked into the movie <laughs> I, I was kind of i was kind of half expecting him like, like he does in the thanksgiving scene in the first frame you're like sorry i'm late i had to beat an old lady with a stick yeah, yeah. <laughs> but their introduction could have been stronger admittedly but i think the trade-off was worth it for the fact that they did actually they became supporting characters in their own right and it and it sort of outlined the differences between these three different Peters. And of course, like ev everyone was rooting for this and speculating on it when the trailer dropped. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, Andrew's Peter got his little redemption or catharsis moment when he saved MJ because he couldn't save Gwen in his own universe. And I was getting that 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 hit me man like, like I, I didn't expect to get as emotionally invested in andrew garfield's peter as i did so fair play fair play yeah no like uh, <laughs> it was pitch perfect i think was it <clears throat> this film made me appreciate his version of the character so much more because mm -hmm. it's always one of those sort of interesting things where you can see potential in a film but it's just mishandled by you know was it the creatives behind the scene but in this film i was just like this is his Peter being so cheerful, charismatic, smart, and so fun. He so exudes, yeah. he exudes such great energy. And just in his little scene, like uh, before Toby shows up, just him talking to MJ and Ned, and like um, you know, climbing on the ceiling to get rid of like you know that little uh, spider web on the ceiling. Like yeah. he's perfect. He's just like. He gives me really good vibes of the uh, Yuri Lowenthal, like, PS4 Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, uh, in terms of, like... Because the cool thing that they do with uh, both of the Peters in this new film is that they aged them up. So it's not them just coming straight from their universe from the time that they were in there. They've aged mm. up. Time has progressed. And it's just, like... Yeah, yeah. He, and, has, and... he has those adult vibes that I really appreciate. Mm. And you can tell it's like they're all bringing something slightly different to the table. Like, to Toby's got a lot of worldly wisdom andrew's kind of i, I guess more kind of like scientific know-how and sort of street smarts a little more and then tom holland's peter has the benefit of having worked in a team dynamic before and kind of knows how to coordinate that so they all kind of yeah they all work together and it all works and fuck me the moment in the climax when uh, tom holland peter is pretty much ready to, to kill goblin and toby peter stops him like he doesn't have to say anything like the way he looks up at him while kind of holding the glider like that's three movies and more worth of experience in his face right there just yeah don't do this you'll regret it you know <laughs> there was a lot of that where it's just characters who were just 
physically acting and you could just see in their faces what they were saying without them having to say anything. It was really nice. Um, I just loved their interactions and seeing them um, from the moment where uh, Toby and Andrew just sort of look at each other and they're just like, they both shoot each, <laughs> shoot each other with webs and they flip and I'm like, ah, oh, just such a cool <laughs> Spider-Man thing to do. I'm like, I'm giddy as hell. And then it just gets more and more interesting when they're in the lab and they're discussing certain things about their web shooters. And they finally bring up the fact that Toby has organic webs. And they're just like, does it come from anywhere else? It's just like, no, just the wrist. When you like to know. Yeah. <laughs> and just the fact that when they're um, in the midst of like chaos and they was talking about how they can't coordinate with each other. And like uh, Thomas is like, oh, it's part of the Avengers. The Avengers, that's great. What is that? And it's just like, yeah. Oh god, it was glorious. Brilliant, brilliant. Oh man. Ooh, I feel like I so, need to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, there, there is just a lot to the film that you can appreciate. Um, I mean, I love seeing Alfred Bellina back as Doc Ock, man. He's mm. literally one of my all-time favorite villains, and uh, the way in which he handled him in this film, it was interesting because I thought he yeah. was going to be fairly aggressive the entire time, but the fact that since Peter used his like scientific know-how to fix the inhibitor chip. The fact that he was able to have like you know just mental clarity for the first time in however long yeah yeah it just allowed him to like you know just come back to where mm -hmm. he was prior to like you know uh the accident with the um what do you call that bloody thing the fusion reactor yes yeah yeah believe so but man it was so good i loved like melina has always been like just top class acting and oh. i just i love his uh charisma and his sass in this movie man <laughs> mm -hmm. always questioning things <clears throat> the way he was just like you know moaning and yelling when he was uh in happy's apartment or trapped in dr strange's like basement man that sounds really dodgy when you say it like that <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. But, but yeah no it was cool man i mean even um electro the villain who i just was very very skeptical about the way yeah. in which they brought him back in you this know film what? was really nice you know what? It, it it was it was good, and I I I do like that. We sort of had at least the closest we we're going to get to the classic Electro costume in live action with yeah. the, with the way the electricity charged up. It kind of made the shape of his classic mask. I'm like, love that. Like, I'm not totally adverse to the kind of all blue glowing Electro, but it always just feels a bit like Diet Doctor Manhattan to me. And yeah. Yeah. And I think there are moments when it can work. Like, I think they, you know, make very good use of it in the Ultimate Spider-Man video game, for example. Right, of course. But, yeah. but I mostly prefer the classic Electro look. Again, I think the Spectacular Spider-Man did it best. <laughs> but, I'm still waiting for something as close to that. It was but, That was glorious. That was, like, kind of the perfect combination of the more sort of classic design and, like, more sleek, modern, living electricity look. But, like... This was solid, and, you know, I, I like that, yeah, as much as we and many other people have crapped on that movie and its handling of Electro, you know, J Jamie Foxx's Electro, he's, he got, yeah, he got a little bit of a shot shot of redemption, and I dug him. Wasn't my favourite part of the movie by any means, that probably goes to Defoe, but he was he was a very welcome part of the ensemble. I, I, I enjoyed him a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. So... Did we have anything to wrap up on No Way Home? Uh, I guess the only other thing I would mention is that I like the Peter Parker struggle. That's mm. the thing that I 
illustrate as like the core elements of Peter Parker's life that I enjoy when it comes to reading him in the comics or seeing it like, you know, in any adaptation. Peter Parker's life will always be about like, you know, trial in the face of adversity. Mm. And Peter's life always kind of sucks, in other words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, was it each of the previous Peters, they've gone through like some sort of like uh, metamorphic change that's made them a better hero, but also mm. come at a great cost. <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, in this film, not only did he lose like uh, Aunt May, which was <clears throat> like you know, bloody awful. That scene was well acted, by the way. Very, very nice. Very much so, yeah. Um, but also you have the whole thing where he decides to let Doctor Strange cast a spell. In doing so, he pretty much erases anyone who he has any significant ties to at all. So mm. the, like you said before, he's alone and he's in this little apartment. He has so much knowledge, but the thing is, we have yet to see if he'll ever use it or not. But I feel like if we're going down like the traditional street of Peter Parker, then he'll probably just keep that information to himself and then just like do things the conventional way mm. and just like, you know, eventually decide to make those connections again or not. Yeah. And just do things his own way. And the fact that he was able to craft his own suit at the end, that was so nice and had, I can't. And it's, and it's the classic red and blue as well. It's your, your, your classic Spider-Man comic book costume. And I think even the emblem on it looks different as well. It's got more mm. of a classic feel of it. I have to check that out to be sure, but the tint of blue on it was very, very nice. It felt okay. like an interesting amalgamation of a few of the different suits that's come before. But also there's one of the uh, suits that I saw in, I think one of the runs of the comics that was also in the PS4 game where it just had a reflective like shininess to it. I'm just like, this is it. But Peter Parker now has this new normal that he has to adjust to. And it opens the Don't door. Don't we all? So <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, no, it, there's so many opportunities. I literally for got two boxes of lateral flow tests for Christmas. No, really. I, I'm not. I'm. I'm not knocking it. Actually, that's a pretty good and practical gift in, in our current climate. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah, some with me. Yeah, yeah. Come, vi <laughs> come visit. Come visit me in London sometime, and I will. Oh <laughs> uh, well, if if it's not before the Batman, we might try to sort something out. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Okay, with all that being said, I think we shall move on to the next entry in the list, please. Which is my number three, because, yes, No Way Home was my four and your three, yes? Ah, yes, yes. Very good. So my number three, probably not a surprise, it's the OG Raimi Spider-Man. Now, this was a very formative movie for me, because I think I kind of got into sort of superheroes and stuff um, a little later than a lot of, you know, you know, geeky kids around my age, I guess. But it's, um, but yeah, as I recall, it was one weekend, which I guess, I think I was eight at the time. So I guess this would have been like late 2004, early 2005. Um, and one weekend, I think they were doing like a spotlight on superhero movies at the time. Yeah. Um, on I think I think it was Channel Five, and 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 the same weekend they had the first Raimi Spider Man, and the first Tim Burton Batman, played basically back to back, and um, I was, you know, I I watched the first Tim Burton Batman just on TV, but the 
Raimi Spider-Man, it was on a little later, and it, and it was on a Sunday evening, so school night, I wasn't allowed to stay up and watch it, so we did the classic early 2000s thing of recording it on, 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 a, on a leftover VHS, and then I watched it in, in the following week. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, of course, man. The amount of like VHS tapes that I have of recorded yeah. things. Yeah, this was this was um, probably this was post uh, Nintendo 64, but pre burning CDs, that kind of era. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, anyway, I digress. So, yeah, um, those two movies I watched in very quick succession at the, the tender age of eight and it was a combination of that and the batman cartoon uh the the one in sort of i think it ran from 04 to like 2009 or something um oh, the, very underrated in my opinion yeah it's not batman the animated series or batman beyond but it's very solid in its own right and and it was sort of yeah those three things i hold single-handedly responsible for getting me into superhero media in general because yeah <laughs> and the first Raimi Spider-Man like I said it was I, I'm struggling to know where to start with it because it because obviously you've sung its praises already I don't I don't want to kind of you know just be derivative of what you said uh, but it's just iconic like it's it's just as it it's probably probably the best superhero origin story film in many ways right just as far just i mean in terms of okay technically we do have another superhero origin story still to mention in our spider-man rankings for it for a different spider-man but that's we'll, we'll get there when we get there but in terms of just kind of your bare bones simple no multiverse involved just your straightforward superhero origin story this is about as concise and tight and well handled as it gets for me and again i think that's why the the first amazing spider-man kind of fell flat for me in many ways because it just kind of it just fell back on the same beats uh, and i was just like we saw this done better in in 2002 <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah it's just it's got so much going for it like like like, like the danny elfman score iconic um spider-man and green goblin like you know hero and villain dynamic iconic although like i said in some in some ways defoe improved on the character in in no way home i would argue but he's still <clears throat> just in his own movie in this original story he's just it's just classic kind of jekyll and hyde villain and, he, and he's wonderful and the fun thing I noted, actually, because when my flatmate and I got back from seeing No Way Home in the cinema, we actually ended up re-watching the first Raimi Spider-Man because he was still kind of riding the buzz from that. And <clears throat> so so we actually did the drinking game and, and uh, ah, okay. that. But one thing I noticed, which I hadn't noticed before, is in the in the Thanksgiving scene when obviously norman figures out that peter's spider-man when he sees the gash on his arm from from the razor bat blade thingies he he threw was the goblin they're wearing like peter's wearing a, a green shirt and a, and, and a purple tie and norman underneath his suit jacket is wearing uh, i think i think it's a blue shirt and a red tie so peter's wearing green goblin colors 
and Norman's wearing Spider-Man colors. And I think Harry's got like, um, uh, I, I think I can't remember what colors he's wearing, but he's got like one color, one goblin color and one Spider-Man color in his ensembles. So he's sort of stuck between them. So it's a very clever little bit of costume design and, and mise-en-scene, which, which I thought like, this is just good filmmaking 101, like outside of how faithful it is to the comics or how much impact of the Spider-Man lore. This is just quality filmmaking. And, and I appreciate that. And there's a lot of little bits like that. Um, it just, ah, yeah, it's just, it's just a classic movie. And, and it's so, like we said earlier with, with the ending, sw- the ending swing alone is so influential on most subsequent Spider-Man media we've seen since. And, the way it handles the origin story influential on most comic book movies that have been made since then let's be honest yeah and it's yeah <laughs> i think i think if if i try to elaborate any more i'm just going to end up repeating myself but it's just such a classic movie that i, th- I think honestly was kind of the product of just the right creative team coming together at the right time um you know sam raimi directing Toby Maguire, Kirsten Dunst and Willem Dafoe in the cast. And honestly, shout out to Cliff Robertson and Rosemary Harris as Uncle Ben and Aunt May, respectively. They don't get talked about enough. Um, obviously, Uncle Ben's... He's not in the movie much, for obvious reasons. <laughs> but, but you know, he... The way he delivers that speech with such conviction. And honestly, like, the little human moments hit way harder now when you watch it as an adult, when Peter blows up at... Ben, it's like, I know not your father. Stop pretending to be. Ben just goes quiet and says, I'll pick you up at 10. And that's the last interaction they ever have before Uncle Ben's shot. It's just like, God, that's awful. And then after, you know, everything transpires with Peter hunting the criminal down, he just goes home and there's just that wide shot where he walks in. You know, the sound's all muted. Elfman's beautiful scores kind of just taken over the soundscape but you know him and Aunt may just kind of just hug each other and you just hear Aunt may quietly sobbing it's just like the, those human moments were, were what made particularly those first two raimi spider-man movies work so well and yeah it, it's just like like i said it's, it's it, like i said it's just great filmmaking and it, and it grounds the reason it works so well as an origin story i think is because it ground has such a strong grounding in character and the yeah. emotional core like it ain't perfect i will attest you know like, like like i said the cgi is a bit dated and you know maybe the green goblin costumes are a little wonky but i don't care i can i can let most of most of its flaws slide it's just it's just it's just a great movie that 90 percent holds up now for me so there you go <laughs> wonderfully worded sir um, I felt like I was rambling like a madman there, but thank you. <laughs> no, like um, there's a lot to appreciate about that film. It's it feels like it was done with a very clear goal in mind to yeah. tell the best Spider-Man story that they could at the time. So everything mm-hmm. feels like it's done with purpose, with execution, with strong direction. Like you know, with very good framing. Everything mm-hmm. looks like it was there for a reason. Even like you know, was it the voiceover? Like you know, was it at the start and end of yeah. the movie? It's like a nice way to bookend everything. And yeah, and, and even just sort of 
even little things just down to getting an actual wrestler, um, the late Randy Savage, to play oh. to play Bonesaw was quite fun. Glorious. The amount of times my flatmate and I have quoted, Hey, Freak Show, you're going, you're going nowhere. nowhere. <laughs> I got you for three <laughs> minutes. Three minutes, three minutes of pizza. <laughs> oh, he's so much fun. And, like, um, just... Two things in that wrestling scene have always brought me like great happiness. Like one where, you know, was it uh Bruce hands him the microphone the first time and he's just he's like, Bullseye is ready. Um <laughs> the other bit, which is is so small and it means nothing, but when the cage finally comes down and there's just that one guy in the crowd is like, Cage! I'm like, this guy is insane. Everybody is in, in here is insane, but it's like one of my favorite things. Like sometimes I'd run off to shout that at my friend or I'd do it to my sister and she just gets really pissed off at me, but I find it hilarious. It's like you were saying about the kind of heightened reality of, of the Raimi Spider-Man world, which is, I guess, very much in keeping with the classic 60s Steve Ditko comics. Yeah. It's sort of, for all intents and purposes, it's drawing on a real New York, but it has these crazy heightened superior elements to it. And... That does sort of come into the wrestling scene as well, doesn't it? Because it's like, in reality, wrestling, for the most part, unless it's a really sketchy underground ring or whatever, <laughs> like, wrestling is staged, it is rehearsed, you know, you know how it's going to play out. You probably wouldn't get an ad like that in the paper for three minutes in a ring with this big prolific wrestler, and you wouldn't have a surprise cage match sprung on an amateur wrestler <laughs> where he could very feasibly be killed or maimed. Like, well, like, you know, Octavia but, Spencer doesn't care. <laughs> she doesn't. <laughs> Down the hall to the right, may God be with you. Next. <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, it's just like, it, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but you don't really care because it sort of works for the kind of universe this movie's established. And, and yeah, it's just, it just works. I think that's sort of how I describe the movie as a whole. Like it just works; everything comes together. I don't, I don't have many problems with it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I think we're going to move on to number two now. Yeah. So evidently we have the same top two, but what order are they in? Is the question. Oh, this has been so hard for me. <laughs> I have flip flopped on these for the past three years, but I had to settle. So tough, but. I'm gonna put Spider-Man 2 as my number two. Okay, so the rest of our rankings are the same. Spider-Man ah. 2 is my number two, and Into the Spider-Verse is our mutual number one. It ah, would okay. seem. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's incidentally, um, for your listeners um, who don't have the benefit of uh, visuals, I am wearing my Miles Morales t-shirt in honor of my favorite Spider-Man movie. And I have my nice shiny in Spider-Verse Blu-ray on standby too. Check this man out. He was prepped. He's hardcore. I love it. <laughs> but yes, Spider-Man 2, best one Sam Raimi did. Pretty much the gold standard for live action comic book movies, right? Yeah, man. The crazy thing is, and how many years that we've had, like, you know, different comic book movies, whether they be origin stories, sequels, mm. you know, different base locations, whether you're on Earth in space and other dimensions. You come back to this film and it still has such a solid grounding, such a great foundation. It's got so for... much heart, is, is my main takeaway from it. 
And it's one of my favorite, like, films that have, like, a great progression from point A to point B. Like, you know, was it Spider-Man 1? It's pretty good. But Spider-Man 2 is literally just like, let's take all that, but let's just make it better in every way, shape, and form. Yeah, I'm just like, it's, it's, ah. like, it's like the special effects hold up better. Honestly, the special effects on, Do- on Ox Arms, well, you know, no hate, no way home by any means, but Doc's arms honestly look better in Spider-Man 2. I, I, th- I think it's the combination of practical and CGI effects that makes it work. Yeah, good uh, camera angles as well when they got those uh, close-ups. Yeah, I was talking about this the, uh, uh, weirdly with my mum the other day, actually. <laughs> um, like, um, the, how, as far as, like, with very special effects-driven movies, the ones that tend to age the best are the ones that sort of combine elements, like ones that rely too heavily on either practical effects or CGI tend to suffer as, as they get older. Yeah. But then you have like something like Jurassic Park or Mad Max Fury Road, which kind of blends the best of both worlds and they age like fine wine. Honestly, same can be said of Spider-Man 2. Yeah, I love the way in which this film is crafted. It's, uh, again... There is a clear goal in mind to tell this specific story and everything that is on screen, it's there for a reason, whether it's subtle or right up in your face. I like the way it's handled. The pacing is really good. I like how Raimi is still able to implement those sort of horror tropes into the film with like some really beautiful shot scenes Mm. and just the whole thing with Doc when he's like... uh, where his arms like decide to attack everybody when they're trying to the take that harness off of it is beautiful. That's straight up Evil Dead. I'm sorry. Like, 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 like I mean, and, and again, obviously, I saw this movie long before I saw the Evil Dead films, but like, yeah, <laughs> it's it legit. I mean, okay, there's no blood because it's a, it's a PG movie, but it's just like, fuck me, this is terrifying and. And you know, again, fair play to the extras playing all the doctors. Their they their screams of terror are very convincing. And shot that's always haunted me a little bit is that is the one uh, female doctor who just like just gets dragged into the darkness by one arm and her nails just like scratching the Teflon off the floor as she goes. Yeah. Chilling, genuinely chilling. <laughs> that and that final scene where that one guy gets attacked by the last few tentacles. And he whips and out a chainsaw in true Evil Dead fashion. <laughs> I know that was great. I love the Groovy. fact though that you see it from his, uh, you see from the uh, tentacles camera angle, the yeah. way that they all take him out at once. And I'm like, good lord, man, these guys mm. got messed up. Is awful. Yeah, like I think. <sighs> Uh, and again, Doc Ock, although he's, you know, pretty terrifying by virtue of the arms and everything, really sympathetic villain. Like, really, really, like, you feel for him, genuinely. And, you know, his final line of the film, you know, I will not die a monster, to this day, goosebumps, I swear. And, like I said, I, I, with Spider-Man 3 and how they sort of tried, did the sympathetic villain thing with Sandman as well, I think I liked it a little more than you did. It's it it. it kind of reminded me of mr freeze and batman the animated series and that kind of thing right. but but honestly as far as sympathetic spider-man villains go peaked with half a million as doc ock no absolutely i enjoy the fact that 
when we meet him, he is a very confident, accomplished person who has been working on this for their entire life. And he seems to have everything together. And you can see from Peter's reaction that, like, you know, is it, this is potentially what could be his life if everything mm. decides to work out. But as it happens with a lot of people, whether it's like, you know, people close to Peter or otherwise, like, you know, some things just don't work out. Life mm -hmm. has a different plan for you. It may turn you into a villain and like, you know, things mm -hmm. just start to, <laughs> start to go <laughs> to crap. Guy named Otto Octavius winds up with eight limbs. What are the odds? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And that Doctor Strange reference, man, that was deep cut, man. That was crazy. <laughs> Pretty good. But it's taken. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Dr. Octopus. Doc Oculus is like genius. <laughs> Are you looking for a raise? Get out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so by, nice. By the way, like, yeah. I mean, we've already sung the praises of J.K. Simmons as Jameson. He's great in all three of the Raimi films. He is at his best in Spider-Man. Like, I mean, I think everyone's at their best in Spider-Man 2 of that trilogy, but yeah. Jameson, oh God, he's just, he is so funny. Is so good. Oh and, man! Yeah. And and in fact, what in fact one of my drinking game criteria for for the Raimi trilogy, um, when you're doing Spider-Man two, uh, you got to finish your drink at Jameson's epic laugh. It's it's oh, like the, the one the one that just sounds like a car screeching when when, when Peter's like, can you pay me in advance? <laughs> beautiful it, oh man he, he's glorious Comedy i think <laughs> one of my favorite things is literally just that uh, moment where him and betty are having those like um conversation on the phone and um there's the way he picks up the phone it just dashes it back down yeah. mr jameson like... your wife says you lost the check she lost the checkbook thanks for the good thanks news, the good news. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh. Or when she's telling him to pick up the phone, like, you know, when they're just mouthing the lines and he's just there and it's like uh, making the movements and just puts the phone back down. Mm. Oh, it's so good. Oh man. But yeah, I really like the fact that again, like I was saying in the No Way Home like review beforehand, mm. this continues the Peter Parker struggle, man. Two years on and he's still like, you know, was it just trying to keep his life in check and be mm. Spider-Man at the same time? You know, he's trying to go to university, but he's like failing to show up on time. He's not on time for work, so he can't deliver the pieces on time either. He wants to be there for uh, MJ and Harry and even his Aunt May as well. But he mm. he's stretched too thin. The dude looks exhausted and everywhere he goes, he can't seem to escape. Like, you know, that feeling where it's just like you can't have what you want, mate. Your life is just screwed. Honestly, it is one of those movies that like for me just gets better and better with time and i think a big part of that is because it does perfectly portraying sort of the relatable down on his luck 20 something peter parker which is partially on the writing partially on sam raimi's direction to a great extent on toby Maguire's performance he is fantastic in this film and it's just i mean obviously you know we don't have Spider-Manning duties to deal with, but I think if you've just been, if at any point you've been a 20-something living in kind of a cheap shitty or flat and just trying to balance your life and just get your shit together and just nothing quite seems to be panning out, you will feel where this Peter's coming from. 
like every step of the way. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's just got so much to deal with, and you know, was it, he's a superhero on top of that. So I can only imagine how much more like uh, tiring that would be. Mm-hmm. But I adore Spider-Man's first appearance in this film. And I believe it's during the uh, sequence that night where there's those two guys in that car and the way in which he drops into well, the seat. Well, technically, it's, whoa, he stole that guy's pizzas. Oh, yes. OK, OK. So during like in terms I of should, the main ac- first main action set piece, yes. It's, it's I should have specified with the action sequence, <laughs> but the way Spidey literally drops in and slips in between like, you know, was it that uh, trucks like a uh, I, I've, I don't know what you'd call like you know so the container good. and like you know the front part of the uh, yeah. the truck, but the way in which he slips in there and as the guy starts shooting at him, Spidey does this cool move where he's swinging forward, but he turns backwards and pulls his webs and then swings mm. back forward. I'm like, and I've I watched the uh, the behind the scenes um, like you know DVD commentary crap on right. like um, Spider-Man Two a lot when I was a teenager and. Um, one of the things that Raimi and a few of the other people said that they wanted to show is like how much better Spider-Man has become at being Spider-Man. And you can see that sense of confidence and change in his abilities from point from film one to film two. Clearly, he's way more efficient at web swinging, using his abilities, and he can, you know, style it out in such a kick-ass way. It, it, it's, it's almost like by the time you, you get to Spider-Man 2, being Spider-Man is the only thing he's doing all right at and then even that fails him after a point <laughs> oh yeah um like that um so one of the scenes i was alluding to beforehand was uh when you said in spider-man one you like how spider-man had his suit up sequence in number one mm. there's the moment after um peter is uh looking at i think was it mary jane from the opposite side of the street and then those police yeah. cars go by so there's that scene where it's a very quick shot but Peter opens his shirt, throws on the mask, and shoots up his web, like, and flies up into the sky. Pitch perfect. That's just super solid editing. I remember that very vividly. Like, they spotlighted that moment in the trailer as well, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. And there's a reason for that. (laughs) And the way in which the camera pans back and you see Peter, like, you know, starting to gain height and, like, you know, really start to... uh, gain momentum and really start to gain some like uh, really hype before his uh the his webbing stops working i'm like oh this is so good i'm having a great time and the idea that um you know we've had in the comics before the fact that like peter's powers like uh have stopped working on occasions but the fact that obviously his since he got organic webbing um that's tied to him more specifically than like running out of web cartridges. So the fact that he's like, you know, losing his abilities in the film, which pretty much happened at the worst possible times. This guy, he is so lucky he's not dead. Like at least three times he could have like, you know, fallen and broken himself in several different places. Certainly, yes. Um, But I like the idea that Peter becomes so stressed out from being Spider-Man that he just decides, you know what, screw this. I'm just going to try and, like, you know, just live a normal life. And for a little while, it works. Strut down the street to a, to a Butch Cassidy-style montage. Oh, I love keep that. falling on my head. I mean, it's no get up and drive your funky soul from Spider-Man 3, but I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great, man. Um, I like the fact that he's trying to fix that bicycle and the, fa- <laughs> the way that wheel just bounces out and out the window. I'm like, 
What's all that? That, that took that? that that took so many takes to to, to get that yeah. right. Like I I, 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 I watched watched the bloopers because um, they're they're pretty golden as you'd expect. Yeah, yeah. The amount of times yeah. that the wheel just doesn't quite bounce the right way. And one of them, I think Toby actually catches it in midair. I'm just like, damn, are you actually Spider Man? <laughs> Man, he's got those skills. But yeah, I I like the. Uh... The way Spider-Man at least attempts to try and have a normal life and things work out for a bit. But then obviously when Doc Ock reappears, uh, he has to, you know, step back into gear and like, you know, become the hero that he's supposed to be. But yeah. I think one of the core things that gets talked about a lot before, but I don't think gets talked about as much now is Peter Parker confessing, you know, was it to Aunt May that he was there when like, you know, Ben died. Yeah, and um, obviously he says in you know as best a way to not incriminate himself, but essentially says you know we'll say I didn't actually go to the library, yeah. I went somewhere to get money, I lied to you, and you know I've been wanting to tell you this for so many years, but the way in which she removes her hand and just doesn't say anything and walks away, I'm like that is one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in a superhero oh, right. film. Oh, and, and again, Rosemary Harris's performance. I, I'm, I'm disappointed I haven't seen her in more stuff because she is a phenomenal actress. I know. Based on those movies alone. <laughs> she was so good. And um, when they have their like uh, moment to talk afterwards when he goes back to her house. And... Which might as well have just been her going like, by the way, I know you're Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. uh, we haven't seen Spider-Man's picture in the newspaper lately. I'm just like... May, come on now, stop it. You naughty, naughty, you're teasing me. <laughs> but yeah, she has such a great part to play in the movie with, um, you know, was it just helping Peter find his, um, find his confidence, but also like, you know, was it just redirect him in like the, uh, the way he needs to go in order to oh, like, yeah. at least get to that point where he was mm -hmm. before as, at being a hero. But yeah, I really enjoy her the progression of like the whole peter and harry relationship which is mm -hmm. like you know partially awkward but then gets even worse to that point where they have that beef at the party and harry's slapping peter in front of everybody like good lord yeah <laughs> that's a shambles <laughs> there man i'd ha never want to be in that ha position ha harry's he's such a dick in that movie but it's it's like you understand why like that there's there's such a level of empathy for all of the characters in the film, uh, ex except for maybe John Jameson, but we don't care about him. Um, <laughs> He's a big uh, mi nothing. Mi 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 Mr. Pretty Astronaut Man. No, never mind. Um, but <laughs> didn't he become the Man Wolf in the comics? Oh, he yeah, did. he did, yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's a side note. But yeah, the exception of him and... Uh, yeah, like, there's this... Like, that movie has so much empathy for everyone, like Peter, MJ, Aunt May, Doc Ock, Harry, fuck, I'll say it, even Mr. Aziz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like everyone, it understands where everyone's coming from, even if they make decisions which seem like very dickish decisions or act out in ways that seem very harsh. You get why. Like Harry is still grieving for his dad and you know trying to adjust to now being the ceo of oscorp while trying to process that shit and and so yeah he's and so yeah he's very he's very angry and petty and, and bitter a lot of the time but it makes sense uh 
Mary Jane from time to time says some quite cruel stuff to Peter, but he keeps letting her down, so you understand why she says it. Um, and yeah, just just everyone. It's just it has so much empathy for its characters. It's just the film's got so much heart. It's it's just it's fucking wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's so many other things I could go on about. Like, uh, but I think I'll 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 narrow it down to two main things. Firstly, okay. I have to talk about like uh, the Doc Ock action sequences, which are far and away some of the cleanest fight sequences in any superhero film ever. Can we talk about that one shot where, where Spider-Man swings through the city and it zooms out into Doc Ock's shades? Oh, it's so nice. And it's literally just after Spidey decides to take his suit back from Jameson as well. Yeah. And that music, when that score is kicking, good Lord, I'm on Danny fire. Alfred, my boy. <laughs> God tier. And just the way in which that fight starts as well, where it's just like, oh yeah, but uh, uh, for the record, Michael Giacchino, No Way Home, best score he's done for for, for the MCU Spider Man's oh, top notch yeah. stuff. So beautiful, um, <laughs> but just the way Spider Man just lands on the top of that building, he's like, "Where is she? She'll be just fine. Let's talk." And they're just like engaging in like filthy battle scenes, which is just again, I love the choreography of everything that they not only get to use their abilities to, like, you know, the full extent, it's Ock and his arms and Peter with his webs, but they also make use of the environment around them. The way in which, like, Ock decides to, like, you know, is it smash that clockhead, take the, um, the uh, what do you call those things? Like, uh, the hands. arrows? The hands. the hands, there we go, thank you. He just snaps one in half and just, <laughs> yeah. And then the fight continues on to the train, and it just gets even more hype from there, and the one of my favorite moments ever when like you know uh doc knocks spider-man off of the uh train and he lands on the ground but he shoots a web towards the train and guides himself through a bunch of cars c- runs back up a building and swings back to her up oh good lord <laughs> uh, it's too much for me it's too much for me man uh, uh, it's just perfectly done just punching kicking dodging like uh was it the structures where people are walking across like uh, around the train and stuff mm. um the bridge that's what you'd call it i guess but yeah then <laughs> you <laughs> but then you have like dog deciding you know what after i've decided to throw a few hostages out in the area and spider-man just decides you know i'm gonna web them over there um he's like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna ruin the train for you gonna take the controller knock the guy out and it's like you can you can go stop this train yourself bye <laughs> and they're like no so spidey like you know does the iconic scene where he uses all his webs to like you know shoot stop at the, the train stop which, the train. which can we say that's maybe like a little bit of a homage to the the panel of him like lifting the big thing costume ripping and whatnot the framing's a little different but i feel like it's evoking a similar energy and, and a similar, yeah no, definitely similar thing using all of his strength like you know was it to basically deal with like a nearly impossible like you know situation yeah and um i it took me a few that's years sort of the movie, that's sort of the movie in a nutshell really isn't oh it? yeah yeah <laughs> i mean he even ends up like you know stopping that massive structure from falling on mj so he's almost like he has like a s- smaller version of that like you know moment from the uh, comics there where he's just like yo man yeah. you know that i love you if we're gonna die like i just thought i'd let you know this big old thing on me it's really heavy <laughs> 
Whoa, Doc, this is heavy. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, for the record, the way they wrap up Peter and MJ's relationship um, in Spider-Man 2 is beautiful. You know, he essentially lets her go because of his responsibilities and, you know, his desire to not see her get hurt. And she she effectively rejects that in favour of, like, look, we know where we stand now. We're being honest with each other. You know, I'm willing to build a future with you if you are. It's basically the good version of the ending of The Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I've always liked the way the camera looked on her afterwards because I feel like you can see in her face that this is going to be one of those situations where I think I know what I'm getting myself into right now, but mm. there is probably a lot of, like... Uh, a lot of hurdles that we'll have to deal with in the future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That that's just a, that for me that's a face that's just like you know is it t- very telling of like a, yeah a difficult road ahead. So, so some people have even compared like the final shot of that film to like the ending of The Graduate in, in that way. And, and honestly, honestly, I won't dispute that comparison in many ways. Yeah, yeah. it is sort of like we did the thing. You know, we're we're built, we're running off together. We did a big romantic gesture. Fuck, reality sets in now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Hello, God. Darkness, my old um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that song. Um, I guess the only other couple of things I wanted to mention was um, in the train scene where after Spider Man stopped the train and everybody, like, you know, carries him back into the uh, train car and they're just mm. like, oh, yeah, you know, he's just a kid, no older than my son. And, uh, you know, the people in New York, I do appreciate them again. Like, you know, was it, mm. if this was uh, in this day and age, he would have been like, you know, uh, snapped up online straight away. Spider-Man's secret identity would have been all over the place. But these guys are good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We we love uh, helpful supporting characters in Spider-Man movies, which, yeah. in a sense, could lead quite nicely into our mutual number one, could it not? <laughs> it could. It could. But I did want to highlight one other thing that okay. um, one of the uh, passengers on the train happens to be my boy Phil Lamar, and I was so happy when I finally noticed who the hell he was because I was hey, really like, where is he? Yeah, if you look at the oh, black shit. guy on the train in Spider Man Two, that's Phil Lamar right there. I, I'm googling that right now. I, I, I love Phil Lamar too from uh, um, from Futurama and the DCAU and whatnot. Um, yeah, man, I was from... just like, yo, it's my dude. He shows up in live action things every so often, but when he is there, I'm like, I, al- I always guy. forget. He- I always forget he was Marvin in Pulp Fiction too. Which, which yeah, is yeah. Awesome. <laughs> right, come on, where are where are you, Phil? Oh yeah, so he is. Holy shit. I learned yeah. something new today. Thank you. That, that, <laughs> like, that's, that's pretty great. Yeah, man, I'm literally just like I'm almost like some sort of like safari man, like you know, with like you know binoculars. Like where's Phil Lamar? Like, <laughs> there he is. The last thing I think I saw him in was uh, I think it was Lucifer. I want to say he showed up in either season one or two of that show, and I'm like, or well, maybe it was season three. I don't remember, but yeah, I'm, he was in I'm, there. I was like, Yay! Can't watch the show, but I'll take your word for it. Oh, I just love but yeah. Uh, beyond that, the music's god tier, and I listen to that yeah. theme a lot. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. By the way, shout out, shout out to them for using the the Alex Ross art of the first movie in the opening credits. Gorgeous. Oh <laughs> man, such a beautiful introduction, man. Just what yeah. a way to recap your predecessor. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I guess we should talk about that number one at some point. We should. We should. So yeah, into the Spider Verse is our mutual number one. May like this film was so much more than I ever could have hoped. 
I was intrigued. I was definitely down for this, but I think people really need to understand that, like, you know, before this film had come out and it was early in its announcement, there were so many people that were against the idea of this film's existence. So many people who didn't know who Miles Morales was. Oh, yeah. Because even though he'd started to at least grow in popularity um, over the years and had, like, certain adaptations here and there starting to show up, he still was relatively unknown to, like, the general public. Certainly obscure, yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the most the most we had as far as mainstream Spider-Man movies was uh, Donald Glover in um, Homecoming, it, them sneaking in that he's Aaron Davis, aka the Prowler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like um, he had not ruling out the Prowler appearing in or Miles appearing in a future MCU Spider-Man film. Mate, we'll see. <laughs> I want Aaron Davis so bad, man. Um, but by that point, I think. At least um, Miles had made his animated debut in the Ultimate Spider-Man show, because right. I think he'd shown up in, like, season three, where okay. they started experimenting with addition, additional Spider-Man characters making their appearance, and that's where Donald Glover voiced the character in that show, which was pretty interesting. Hmm. Um, but by the time Spider-Verse was coming out, we'd had his animated debut and his small debut in uh, Spider-Man PS4, but again, nothing yes. as, like, a major main character yet. And mm-hmm. this film was just insanity from a technical perspective as someone who not only studied animation but also likes to watch and analyze yeah. it this film was some sort of technical marvel i mean i i obviously don't have the same academic context for it that you do but i you know you and i are both on the same page here of like how underappreciated animation is as a medium and how much you can do with it and absolutely and like god I have been sort of re-watching a bunch of kind of classic Disneys this year as well, uh, and I do miss hand-drawn animation a lot, I have Absolutely. to say. But frankly, all, like, 3D animated movies looked as gorgeous and had such a distinctive style as Spider-Verse. I would... There's a part of me that that would be all right with not seeing another hand-drawn animated film made. Like, there's... And not quite. Like I, I, I do still want to get like hand drawn animation from time to time, but Spider Verse is just one of the most visually unique films. Full stop. I've ever seen. For the record, one of my favorite movies. Full stop. I, I actually finished ranking my top fifty as they currently stand. Recently, Spider Verse is my eighteenth favorite film of all time currently. So take that. Damn, very impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say that. I just really like the way in which this film is set up. Mm. And how much they pack in without making it feel overstuffed as well. Yeah, this is pretty much Amazing no Spider-Man way home before. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The interesting thing was that like, this was the animated version of what No Way Home did to a degree. Um, you have a major character who is the central focus, but then you have a few other key players who surround him but help support the adventure, and yeah. it's not like they get in the way. Everything serves a purpose, and it's all through that through line to have like Miles discover who he is and like you know become a crazy cool hero dude reminds me uh i have one other piece of uh, spider-verse merch on standby my little spider-man noir pop vinyl ah yes yes i remember when we sold out of those when i used to work at the old store good lord man those the noir ones went pretty quickly mm. where'd you work um when you... i used to work in um what's it in the, the forbidden planet? planet yeah right <laughs> 
it was a it was a it was a uh, what's it Forbidden Planet like equivalent like um, got you got you <laughs> you'd like it I'm sure I would um, <laughs> but yeah no but yeah I love my boy Spider Man Noir he, he's really difficult to stand up though because he's got kind of a bobble head yeah, <laughs> I, have yeah. To, I have to kind of lean him against something but yeah it's like it, like the way that it lets all of the you know the spider people have their moments and have their spotlights, but never loses sight of the fact that this is Miles' story. And, like, his... It's his origin story, and it's easy to forget that it's an origin story because there's so much else going on in the movie. And like I said, while I do think, um, you know, the first Raimi Spider-Man has the edge for just being kind of a a bare-bones, straightforward, iconic origin story, Spider-Verse is the more overall satisfying film for me because it's it juggles that with just so much else and somehow makes it work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really like how Miles is clearly like, you know, was it a cool kid, a confident mm. kid, but he's moving to this new school, he doesn't quite like, you know, fit in. Mm. And um even though he's uh shifting locations, mm. um He's still trying to make it work for his parents as well as yeah. himself. And you, you can tell he's kind of torn between worlds as well. Um, like he's, you know, he has his friends from his old school and his sort of inclinations to hang out with his uncle Aaron and do his street art. Um, but then his dad and his teacher pushing him, you know, towards academia because they know he's got a he's got a gift and he's very smart and. and and yeah, there's just a lot going on at a very kind of formative transitional period in his life. You know, it, like, and the, there's all the jokes that are about about puberty and whatever in the movie, which are quite fun. But yeah, I think honestly, I think there's a video essay you could you could make to an extent, like into the Spider Verse as an extended metaphor for puberty. In a sense, you could say that about like a lot of Spider Man origin stories. But like, it's it is just sort of like there's so much going on and it and it is like a, an underrated moment in the film for me is like very shortly after he arrives at Visions Academy, this prestigious new school. And there's just what I call just a little montage of stress, just this kind of sensory overload of him rushing between classrooms and picking up on like odd buzzwords that the teachers yell, but not much beyond that. And just just kind of getting overwhelmed by everything. It's just like. I think we've all been there at one point or another, just overwhelmed and sensory overload at a transitional point in our lives. <laughs> yeah, I would say probably that was me during the first couple of weeks of like uh, high school. When yeah. you're like in a new school that's like at least three times bigger than your old one, you don't know where the hell you're supposed to go. Mm. And you're running around the streets just like on well, streets. I mean, the uh, uh, classroom halls, just trying to figure out where the hell you're supposed to go. Luckily, there were on a couple of occasions like... Um, prefects that helped me get to class uh, but it was really annoying when you're the last mm. person to come into class and everyone's looking and laughing at you just like oh for goodness sake yeah man. which miles <laughs> even has a little moment like that when when, it, when he comes into class and gwen sort of throws a pity laugh his way <laughs> and uh, when, he, when he tries to crack a joke it's just like god he's, he's so relatable <laughs> yeah and, and, no, and, that's, and it, that's the thing like the movie does such a good job at making miles such a relatable character and like you know, I have to have the same background. Like, uh, clearly, I'm not an Afro-Latino kid from Brooklyn, but like Miles is such—he's 
he, he he's like there's so much there that's just so real and i think honestly at the time i saw it as well like i, I won't get into detail but like the last few months of 2018 were quite a bleak time for me in a lot of ways and yeah when i saw spider-verse in the cinema um with my best friend um we usually like catch a movie together around christmas time it's sort of become an unofficial tradition of ours um since the new star wars is started coming out back in 2015 so yeah so spider-verse was our film of choice that year and I think in many ways it was exactly what I needed at that point, and which I think is partially why it struck such a chord with me. But And this was not long after I'd moved to London too and was kind of trying to get started in, you know, my industry of film and TV, right? which, to be honest, in some ways I'm still trying to get started. I'm doing a little better now. I've got, got some freelance stuff on the go. Um, but it's the struggles of this transitional period and the struggles of you know, trying to rectify and maintain some potentially strained familial relationships. Uh, like Miles and his dad have a lot of tension throughout the movie and yeah. that hit home at the time, let's say. And, oh. and yeah, something, another aspect of it that I think doesn't get talked about enough is the kind of, like, sort of Miles' main challenge and drive in the movie, which... Like so many kind of superhero stories and kind of genre fiction in general, um, you know, kind of fall back on the chosen one narrative. And Spider-Man, like most versions of Spider-Man, it kind of both is and isn't a chosen one story. Like, like it's not, you know, foretold by a prophecy or anything, but but it's like, you know, the Spider-Bite happens by chance. But it is something that, like, Peter or Miles or whoever else, you know, they were kind of impromptu chosen by chance at a particular time, and this is what they've got now, and they've got to make the best of it. You know, they've and they've sort of been chosen, if by accident, to become, you know, their city's hero. And so, like, there's a bit of that, but, like, the one aspect of Spider-Verse that I found a little different and really interesting and very relatable with Miles' struggle is was actually, ha- you know, the sort of how he reacted to the other spider people and the notion of, like, yes, he's got these powers and he's got these skills, but it was less, you know, it, it was less the standard can he rise to the challenge and be the chosen one and the hero his city needs and more a case of can he rise to the challenge and be the hero his city needs when there are a bunch of other people who are just as capable as him, if not more. And yeah, yeah. and can he actually, you know, make it, you know, do something that's very uniquely him and put his own stamp on things that way. And as a creative, as someone trying to build a career in film and TV, fuck me, the imposter syndrome is real sometimes, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I definitely felt that. And, yeah. Without getting, yeah, not 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 to uh, not to send the the podcast down a depressing train of thought necessarily, but there, yeah, there was a lot about Miles' struggle that I found just very very real that hit home, and it's just you know the fact that it kind of manages all of that relatability and emotional weight whilst also just being so visually eye popping and hilarious, like it, it's it's probably the most consistently funny Spider-Man film on top of everything else 
it's just got it's just got so much going for it. It's it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean like uh I agree more with like a lot of the stuff that you said. I would say that there's a lot of really subtle things that the film does mm. that just work and it doesn't bring attention to it that much. Like mm. the cool thing about like uh, one of the cool things about uh Miles is his heritage. And yeah. the fact that he, he he's easily like passes Sorry, go on. Yeah. Uh, I was just saying that the fact that he easily passes, like, you know, through using English in, like, you know, was it Spanish? And yeah, the he's film supposed to be, like, half African-American, half pure for Rican, right? Yeah, yeah, and the <laughs> fact that he, um, you know, was it just casually, like, you know, throws it out there, so along with his mother, and mm-hmm. they don't use subtitles, they literally just, like, rely on the audience to be smart enough to basically be able to piece together what's going on. So to pick up on that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, mm-hmm. also... One of my favorite things is when Miles meets other spider-related uh, people. The fact that they have like that the visual... spider sense is synchronized. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it's so nice, especially when he first comes across Chris Pine's Spider-Man, which I was giddy when I found out that was him because I was like, I recognize your voice, but I don't quite, I couldn't quite picture it. But then when I saw him in the credits, I was like, oh my god, it's Kurt from the recent Star Trek movies. He and makes that, such a great Peter Parker. Yeah, and and Steve Trevor for, from Wonder Woman. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. Oh man. I was, Honestly, I'll say it. Chris Pine's an underrated Hollywood Chris. He might be my favorite. <laughs> oh man, I love him. I love him a lot. Especially after I saw he, like... He, um, did, he did the Spider-Verse Christmas album himself too, by the way. He sung those. Oh, Spidey Bells, Spidey Bells. <laughs> and the fact that, like, they had all those little visual references to the Raimi movies as well. Yeah. That yeah. was God-tier happiness for me. Um, you know, Including way- strutting down the street to James Brown. Oh, <laughs> uh, so- Don't really talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, it was so wonderful. I do. I do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that we got to see um, one of those story elements from the comics take place in this film which was the death of peter parker in like uh this right. uh, universe which was pretty interesting it it obviously was a small part of the film but the fact mm-hmm. that it had like such a significance it had enough weight that mm-hmm. it obviously affected miles and the other people in the movie and then still had a through line later on with the other peter showed up and it's just you know there's certain things from comics that like you'd think need a little bit more time to breathe um when they get adapted, but like this was a small yet noteworthy thing that, as an inclusion in this film, it worked, and it could have easily just been like a you know something thrown in for you know dramatic effect, and it wouldn't you know work as well as right. it did. These guys just found a really good way to insert that along with everything else in this movie and made it work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But man, just gosh, where, where, where do you oh, where do you start with this movie? <laughs> you know, I love the Peter and like, you know, is it Mars dynamic, man? Like, you know, is it chunky, like, you know, what chunky Peter, but like, you know, is it slightly big Peter, like Jake Johnson Peter? He's fun. Peter um, B. Parker, yes. And to see how those guys uh, operate, especially when they try to infiltrate that facility and um, he's trying to stall, like, you know, was it um, Liz? It was really fun. Yeah. Uh, or, or, yeah, like, um, or, or Liv, Olivia Octavius. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah of just, course, yeah. yeah. He's, just, he's just like, how do you, you come like a day over 35. <laughs> <laughs> and I adore Catherine Hahn as, like, you know, was it this version of Doc Ock, man? She was glorious. I love that woman so I love much. All, I love all the villains in this. Like, obviously, the Prowler's the big one that sort of, you know, has 
you know, the significant lasting impact on Miles's arc and origin story and, and everything. And, you know, Mahersha Ali knocked it out of the park, honestly, with his voice work. Um, yeah, definitely. But, but, like, even Kingpin, who by all accounts is kind of, could just be the kind of generic, suited, mean, big bad. For all intents and purposes, he serves that role well, but they do take the time, albeit, you know, very quickly, to show where he's coming from and why he's doing this. And it, it's like, while he's a piece of shit by most measures, you get why he's doing what he's doing and you get what he wants. It's like, you know, the best villains are the hero of their own story. And Kingpin, you know, in this film, he truly believes that, like, if he keeps pushing the Hadron Collider hard enough, it'll bring his family back and he'll be happy again. So it's like, doesn't excuse what he's doing. He's, he's, he's still a prick. But, like, you get it from a character motivation point of view. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely, man. And, like, um, the fact that he's so close, but then when he's, like, uh, you know, other dimensional families see who he is for what he is, and they're just like, nah, we don't want to go with you. Piss take, man. You were so close and so far. You technically screwed it up yourself. <laughs> what a dummy. Yeah. And, okay, hot take from me. I know technically his last cameo was in Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Um, but for me, the late, great Stan Lee, rest in peace, Excelsior, his cameo in Spider-Verse is kind of the true final Stanley cameo for me. Because it, it's sort of simultaneously like a very funny moment and just really heartfelt when, when he's he's like, it always fits eventually. And he kind of gives Miles the little, the you know, the Spider-Man costume. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, he, he also provides the voice of... Uh, of Jameson in that after credits gag with Spider-Man 2099 and yeah. as well, which, oh, which is quite so fun. One of the, one of the few times a, a recent movie kind of integrate a meme and actually make it really funny and not, and not just cringy try hard. How do you do fellow kids? Oh, <laughs> uh, that, that ending, like, you know, that post credits was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. Um, I think we'll see it. And we're getting Oscar Isaac back as Miguel 29. Nine Spider-Man in Across the Spider-Verse next year. And that bloody teaser trailer was beautiful, colourful chaos. I was so in love. It looks like, honestly, like, I didn't think they could improve on the animation. Um, It looks like they might, though. Like, like I was sort of looking at it, the textures on, like, Miles' hair and Gwen just, just look a little more refined and... And like, yeah, like I say, that sequence when it looks like they're swinging through Dubai or something from, from like the signs in the background. Um, yeah. When, when it's Miles and Miguel, Spider-Man 2099. The way like the kind of the visuals are kind of contorting and, and, and how like the geometry of the scene isn't isn't entirely natural. It's. It almost feels kind of borderline experimental art house, and and but like honestly, I'm into it. <laughs> no, for sure, because like during the uh, final uh, action sequence, because then, show like, you uh, can do so much with animation. People need yeah, to appreciate man. this. <laughs> you literally just need the right team with the right creative vision and someone to like you know help focus everything in. Because you have that action sequence towards the end of Into the Spider Verse where. You know, was it the dimensions are basically collided? You have trains yeah. and all sorts of random objects flying all over the place, 
And I think Spider-Man Noir just just like webs a, a train and just slams it into Tombstone's head at one point. Yeah, <laughs> it is glorious, man. And it's just um, it reminds me of um what happened with at least the uh, crazy trippy sequence with uh, Doctor Strange as well. You have sure. like um these moments where if you have you know a great like uh sequence to help illustrate just crazy chaos mm. it can be done if you have like uh you know is it the right people to make that kind of stuff happen and you know we got like a cool crazy sequence in doctor strange no way home also has like something really nicely done in that film as well and in the spider Us has some on, chaos as well yeah honestly hot take i think the the no way home sequence with doctor strange and peter in the shadow realm or whatever it is um a better use of kind of the kaleidoscopic Doctor Strange visuals than anything in Doctor Strange's solo movie. Mm, I can see that. You're allowed to disagree. That's just my opinion. I would say, but, like, um... Uh, although I am holding out hmm. hope for Multiverse of Madness. Don't let me down, Raimi. <laughs> I am very, very curious about how that's going to play out. That teaser trailer has got me all Ooh. sorts of hyped. Ooh. And I just want them to go even crazier with, like, uh, the Steve Kirby, like, you know, was it, uh, oh, no, Steve Ditko, like, you know, was it, oh, yeah. my bad, my bad. But yeah, yeah it's Jack, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, there you go. Yeah, yeah, because I, I believe it was Steve Ditko that worked on the, um, was it Doctor Strange comics when he helped create, like, some of those more crazy, elaborate, like, uh, locations that Doctor Strange travels through when he goes to different mm-hmm. dimensions and stuff. So yeah. I'm very curious to see how that all plays out because Doctor Strange, the original, did some really cool stuff with that, but I wanted them to go a little crazier with it. So now that they've at least established like how some of these universes work, I want to see them get a little crazier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all love a good uh, visually spectacular multiverse opportunity, I guess. Which, again, I think that's a fairly astute summary of Into the Spider-Verse. Really? <laughs> yeah, man, and just like you know, I could spend a lot of time just talking about how great like uh, all the other Spider characters were, mm. but I would definitely say that you know, was it besides uh, Gwen who was actually pretty cool, and this is probably the most amount of time I've paid attention to Gwen as someone that I actually liked since like uh, Spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah, I would definitely agreed. say that um, Nick Cage as Spider-Man Noir was literally just pitch perfect for me. Um, <laughs> it's wonderful. Between that and Mandy, I'm just going to say it, 2018, best year of Nick Cage's career. Oh, man, he he is literally... Close second would be 97 for Conair and Faceoff, but 2018 has the edge for me. No, absolutely. It's just, that was a good time. He just had so many great moments. and hit the Sometimes I'll have matches burned down to my fingertips just to feel something, anything. Aw. <laughs> I think the first time I watched that movie, that line literally had me in stitches, man. I was dying. It was great. John Mulaney as Spider-Ham as well, or Peter Porker, if you prefer. He's kind of, I mean, John Mulaney, he's kind of, he, he kind of got that, like, cartoony vaudevillian delivery da- down to a T, so he's sort of, he was sort of the perfect pick for a cartoon pig as Spider-Ham. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even he, like, gets an emotional moment as well, like, after, you know, after, after like, obviously, the Prowler, the Kingpin kills Ar- uh, Uncle Aaron, the Prowler, and all the Spider people are trying to comfort Miles, and as uh, you know, Spider Ham of all people says, like the hardest thing about this job is you can't save everybody. It's just like, what? Why is why is this pig voiced by John Mulaney hitting me in the feelings right now? 
<laughs> I know, and it's just nice that, like, uh, even in the midst of, like, uh, a lot of crazy stuff happening and a lot of humor, you can give, like, these more comical characters just, like, that moment to, you know, was it, uh, be, uh, retrospective and nice and, like, you know, was it comfort people in times of need? Even, even Penny Parker gets a sad little moment when, when she's, when, like, her father's robot gets trashed and, and she, she and her spider buddy are kind of just, having a quiet weep to themselves and Spider-Noir comforts her it's like oh yeah yeah oh but man it's just really fun stuff really well executed I'm dumb excited for where they're gonna go with this sequel if if, 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 I mean I don't think that movie is sort of lightning the bottle to me I don't don't know if they'll ever be able to top it Spider-Man movie wise but if if they can, I think it'll be the next output from the same creative team. Yeah. So fingers That's crossed. Right. Here's hoping, man. I'm just very curious to see what kind of plot they'll have. We'll we'll, we'll leave it at that. But yeah, if you, if, uh, if any of you listeners haven't seen Into the Spider Verse yet, especially if you're dismissing it on the grounds of it being animated, you're seriously missing out. It's a stellar film by all measures. One of my all-time favorites. There we go. <laughs> Wonderfully said. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think we're going to wrap it up for another episode. This we, probably, we probably should. I think this is the end of the last episode. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, um, I may even have to break this into two parts, to be fair. Just so that would um, give us plenty of time to, like, you know, ramble, but also not have this episode go on for ages, because I only want you to be sat here for so long <laughs> listening to me and my homie, like, you know, is it chat about Spider-Man? Well, we 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 can we can we can do it for hours, as as as, as you can probably tell. But yeah, <laughs> for the benefit of your listeners, Kurt, yes, we'll uh, uh, well, I'll leave the editing in your capable hands, but I'm sure you'll do a fine job, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, I will pass it on to you. Uh, where do the Spider-Man films rank for you, and how? What do you think of our rankings? Do you like them? Do you dislike them? Be nice if you decide to reply to said statement. Don't uh, trash us on Spider-Man Twitter. Yeah, come on, man! Like you know, don't be a, don't be a clown. <laughs> He's a wholesome working-class superhero who should bring people together in all his incarnations and secret identities. So in that don't. Don't crap on his legacy. <laughs> but yeah, you should be able to find this on like most places where podcasts can be found. You can find me online where I'm at Hypersonic 55 or at Film Focus 55. And Ross, if you'd just like to tell the lovely people where they can find you and if there's anything you'd like to plug. Sure thing. Well, uh, my main platform that I post most major life and work updates on is my Instagram um, as I think I've said before, I'm primarily a film editor by trade, so uh, you can find me at rossmad underscore edits on Instagram. I currently have two feature films in the works, um, one of which is being kept a little more under wraps, but the other of which, here comes the Duke, we do have a very strong social media presence for, so keep an eye out for that on on my page, uh, which I do tag from time to time. And podcast-wise, I do actually have my own podcast now. Uh, my better half, Alice and myself, have started a podcast where we talk all things Scooby-Doo. Uh, Kegel Scooby Reviews, we're on SoundCloud and YouTube. Um, this podcast, one for host Kurt, actually designed our logo, which we greatly appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, so, at Ross Mad Edits for my my film and TV work, or... 
Kegel Scooby reviews for my geeky podcasting. Be sure to give him a check out. He's a lovely little guy. Um, oh, stop <laughs> you. <laughs> the next time we will return to the podcast together will probably be around the time that the Batman shows up because I don't think I could do this podcast without having you back on here to have some pretty meaty discussions about Matt Reeves and Batman and that potential juicy man like uh, Michael Giacchino score. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, as I, as I said before, um, I think... I, th- I think you're the only other person I know who appreciates Matt Reeves as a director based on his Planet of the Apes movies at the minute. So, Oh, yeah. Based on that and me being a pretty ride-or-die Batman fan, and we'll be talking about that film in due time, I'm sure. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> All right, well, that will do it for another episode of Film Focus, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening, as always. Until the next time, this is the Hypersonic 55 and Ross signing out. Farewell. Well.